Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say It Loud Network and Mean Old Line Media presents The History of Being Black. Welcome to another episode of The History of Being Black. I'm Eunice Elliott, and I'm one of the most fortunate people in the world because I get to have the coolest people in the world on this podcast to talk about things that we don't get to talk about every day. And so being Black in America means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but we are so blessed to have two wonderful guests that have something that is so unique and cool. We have the co-founders and curators of, listen to this, the Museum of Uncut Funk, Pamela Thomas and Laureen Williamson. Thank you so much for joining us on the History of Being Black. Well, thank you for having us. Yes, glad to be here. Super excited to talk to you about the museum. First of all, I've read your bios. I've looked all into it. It's so it's such a cool idea. But let's just say I've never heard of the Museum of Uncut Funk. What is it? Pamela, you can tell me. Well, it's we pay homage to 1970s black culture. Everything that we experienced growing up during the 70s for us was like the best time of our lives. Um, the 70s is the greatest decade ever from the perspective of coming out of the civil rights movement and going into the 70s. It's almost as with everything that we have experienced in this country and then having to yet again witness the um, assassination of our leaders, having to experience going through another uh, uprising in our communities. We go into the 70s and it's like we found ourselves for a very short period of time. We were always proud to be black, but we wore it. We acted in it. You know, it was our swagger. It was our style. It was our music. It was our fashion. It was in our sports, in our politics, everything across the board. We were in it as far as our blackness. And we were free mm-hmm. by way of our hairstyles, by way of our, you know, the what some would call outlandish fashion designs. But we were free and we were comfortable and we were expressive. And that aspect of our lives for that short period of time, in my opinion, has never been duplicated. And it had it may have happened for others on different levels, but not like the 70s. The 70s was raw. I, and- I agree with you completely. I have often challenged people to street fights to tell me a better time to grow up. Um, I grew up I was, I'm a seventies baby. And so I remember things of what my parents were enjoying, the music, the, the lifestyle, the Afrocentricity that was like so exciting to be a part of as a young black person, not having lived through any of the civil rights, but even now as an adult consuming it and seeing what I was able to live through as a child mm-hmm. uh, to even be able to experience what I'm experiencing in 2021 as an adult. Lorraine, tell me, I know it's your opinion, but um, when you say it was the best decade, like, are, are you willing to challenge people to a street fight like I am to, to prove it? <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, it's interesting when you when you look at it in context, again, coming out of civil rights, 
we were the first generation to have, you know, our quote unquote full civil rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so the decade is historically important. You know, it's a significant shift in, you know, just the rights that black people had. I also think that it was a time when we, again, were, were proud to be black. We were not African American. We were not Negro. We were no longer colored. We were black. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, it, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. I am somebody. I mean, those were the mantras that little kids learned. You know, when we put our, you know, fist in the air and had the pics in our hair and the whole thing. Um, and I think, you know, from, from what we do and in terms of what we collect, we collect, you know, black popular culture artifacts from the 1970s. And the, the thing that you, you have to understand is that it was the first time that black pop culture was consumed by the masses. Mm. Now, black people have always been making culture. We've always been, you know, we've, we've, you know, developed every genre of music <laughs> in this country pretty much since we've been here. We've always, we're a creative people, you know, our, they say we're resourceful, we're creative, okay? We've always been contributing. And, you know, you've had situations where people have come to our communities and, you know, listen to jazz and eating our food in our community, but we were everywhere. Blackness was everywhere. It was consumed by the masses. We had, uh, you know, a whole genres of film, you know, over 200 black films with black casts and black leads that were shown not only in black neighborhoods, but in white neighborhoods and white theaters and went around the world. We have posters from all over the world from the 1970s. You think that, you know, you know, people in different countries don't consume black culture, but clearly they do. And this was before social media. You know, so they're they're you know, black entertainers, black athletes were on like every TV show. You know, there were a lot of black shows that had black casts on TV. So it's the first time that you, you know, you really saw from a film, from a television and even from a music perspective, you know, you know, our black, you know, heroes and and people everywhere, you know, black politics, you know, was was really burgeoning at that time. You started to get black mayors and cities. So there was just so much activity going on that was for public consumption, um, which was very different than, you know, because we were we were free. Right. As free as we could be at that time, relative to where we had come from, we were free really for the first times in our lives. So it's just, you know, you always have to look at history in context. You have to understand what came before and kind of, you know, what has followed. But I really think, you know, the 70s definitely laid the foundation for hip hop culture, which is world culture. You know, it all comes from there. You know, hip hop started during that time. So. It was a very important time, you know, for kids growing up at that time. We were the, you know, the the first to integrate, you know, really to integrate schools in a mass way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just a lot going on. Historically important, culturally important. And, you know, it was just cool. <laughs> I mean, when you're talking cool. about it and even when when you're looking at the museum itself, when, how, where, so many questions about your collection. When you were growing up, you had no way to know that that was the best decade did you like when when did this affirmation of i know the 70s were the best where does the collection come from the memorabilia the idea for the museum how does that even formulize beyond a street fight (laughs) when i met lorene she had a very interesting collection of uh animation art from looney tune cartoons and warner brothers and you know it was just interesting in that i didn't know what it was 
let alone that you could collect something like that. So she had the original production cells or um, different types of uh, drawings and art that was used under the camera to create these cartoons. And my first instinct was to ask, well, where are the black cartoons? Because my background was in African-American history. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if you're going to collect cartoons, why not have black cartoons? Right. And so from there, the people that she was dealing with to help uh, get her her artwork, we sent them on a mission to find black cartoons. And I think the first one we purchased was a Fat Albert cartoon. And from there, once we knew that you could actually acquire this art, we just went on a mission. And it started from collecting uh, black animation, the original cells used under the camera to uh, create the cartoons we have. We have the drawing, the drawing storyboards where they drew out the story before it went to the celluloid and they painted all of these different scenes to go under the camera. We have the original artwork to that. And it's just very unique and different in the sense of there are so many things that you can collect. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have an appreciation for fine art. We're former gallery owners, not by, you know, uh, by trade, just because Lorene has an excellent uh, business background. And, you know, we both loved art. Let's open an art gallery. From there, you know, you take aspects of art and you, you think about what people collect. You decide what is important to you something that you can relate to, that is what you should collect. And for us, it was the 1970s. So from the animation to led to uh, black exploitation movie posters, which I'm a huge fan of, we both are, to coins, to stamps, to everything that we could find that was either one of first, two could tell the history, three, it had to have black people on it, And four, clearly something that we could relate to. And then everything else started to fall into place when thinking about what can we do with this collection. So were you surprised once you went on this mission of how much was available out there to to curate, to collect? Because I one, I never would have thought of it. And then two, I'm thinking, well, is is that is so much of it that um, that I know most of us, you know, after you say Fat Albert, then I'm thinking, well, what's another black cartoon? Well, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is, you know, well, first of all, I took that as a challenge. That was our street fight. It's like, well, wait a minute. What are you trying to say? Of course, I want the black cartoons. You know, I was like, oh, damn, she kind of got me on this. Let me get moving and find these black cartoons. So that became like a personal mission. Like, okay, challenge accepted. Bet. Let's go and let's get this done. But, you know, it it really does start with literally with one thing. Like it started with a Fat Albert cell. And then you're like, okay, wait a minute. I used to watch the Jackson 5. There was a black, you know, character in Josie and the Pussycat. And it just went, it just went cartoon by cartoon by cartoon, literally like that one piece at a time, you know, and then you start saying, okay, well, I've got these folks over here working on it. Let me see if I can find some other sources for it. And we just happened to, you know, to open a gallery, which opened up sources for us. And then, you know, candidly at that time, you know, eBay came into existence, right? And you had people who were putting things online to sell. And that, I think, really accelerated our ability to acquire things. Um, You know, at the beginning, Things were relatively expensive, but over time, some of the prices kind of, you know, stabilized out. But I mean, there was a time when, you know, it was like, okay, my real job is bidding for stuff and I will go to work and kind of work in between auctions. I mean, it got to be kind of crazy. Like we at that time before they had like PayPal and all this stuff. 
We had, you know, money orders. I mean, we go to the post office. We like, we need 30 money orders. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> it's just, it got to be just obsessive. And that's, that's really, you, you find something that you love, that you connect with, that, you know, you have the nostalgia and the passion for. And then, you know, you know, the internet of things makes things a little easier. And, you know, you're kind of, in that lane anyway, because you have a gallery and then it just, it, it literally just snowballed from there. So it was like, okay, we got this animation art. What do we, what do we get next? Well, posters, let's look at that. Cause you know, Pam had a, just a love for the posters and along the way it starts to dawn on you. You know what? I've never seen this stuff before. I bet black people never seen it before, but clearly people do own it. It's just not us. Right. Right. You know that you start to realize, you know, wait a minute. It's not that the stuff isn't out there. It's just that we don't know about it and we don't own it. And I, and I think that became like the second challenge because we looked around and we're like, okay, who's got the collections? Oh, it's not us. And we're like, you know what? I think at that point it was like, you know what? If not us, who? Right. Exactly. Somebody has to start. Somebody black has to start owning this stuff. Like we will roll pennies. We will not eat. We will make choices, hard choices on bills because we need to own it because she who owns the artifacts gets to tell the story. And, you know, so much of our history has been um, erased and whitewashed. And it really is a fight for who gets to tell the story. You know, who gets to put it in the right context? Who gets to add, you know, the cultural nuance to it? Um, you know, who gets to really curate our history? Is it the people who have experienced the history or the people who look at it through their bias lens to, you know, for their own purposes to craft the way they want to? So it was a, we love this stuff. It's really cool. Like nobody else has it. We're excited about that, but we love it and nobody black has it. And we are compelled to own it because we really started to realize, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, there, there's, you know, we're not hating on folks right. who own this stuff. But all we're saying is when you have, like, you know, there's the stories, black films don't sell overseas. Well, we have the receipts. We've got hundreds of receipts, okay, that show that, yes, they did. So that's just your line. It's not true. And that's really, you know, it's 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 both the, the joy of ownership, the excitement of cool things that you have, but really I think stepping into and understanding the the importance of preserving our history and being able to curate our experience in a way that's authentic and that we deserve from a from a historical perspective. And because the seventies again comes out out of Jim Crow, out of civil rights into the seventies, everything that happened was a first. Mm-hmm. It's the first time that you see black people reflected in pop culture in positive ways. So that's the the other thing that we started to realize once we started curating the collection. I was like, whoa, there's a bigger story than even we realized. You know, understanding is important to, to curate the history, but when we started to understand what we were really curating, we are like, whoa, you know, our animation collection represents the first time in history that you ever saw positive black characters in animated form. Because prior to that, we were mammies and coons and all kinds of, you know, combinations of animals and, and you know, just not human. You know, they had a, a character in Tom and Jerry, and I loved Tom and Jerry as a kid. But, you know, when you get a little older, you're like, well, wait a minute. The, the black maid, she has no head. Like, she's she's breasts and slippers. Like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, she she's not human. Yeah, she's not human. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's the thing that you start to realize, like, wait a minute. You know, there's some some of the things that as a child, again, you were kind of in it and you didn't know what you were seeing at the time. Like, I remember some of the very racist cartoons I used to watch at my grandmother's house. And, you know, it didn't occur to me. Wait a minute. These are some racist cartoons. Like, what? what is 
is going on here? So, you know, you, you have to be able to to tell the story and refute the stereotypes and fight the folks that want to say, well, it was just a time and they didn't know. I don't care what their motivation was, what their intent was. It's racist. And it's it's centuries of racism that, you know, is just baked into this, the soil of this country that we fight every day. I mean, how do you undo 60 years of animation shown to you know audiences that white people absorb? That's what they think. Mm-hmm. You know, they have never met black folks in their life, but they've seen them in the cart in the cartoon. So that must be what y'all like. How do we fight that? Well, we fight that by collecting the artifacts and, and telling the truth. And, and and refuting the artifacts. So it you know it it's a mission for us now, right? Tell the truth, teach truth. It's a mission about telling the truth about our history, teaching people you know the the truth. You know, fighting white supremacy, white you know um, racist you know narratives um, that have been passed down for generations, and setting the record straight. And you know it, it, it can come from anywhere, but you got to have the artifacts to be able to back it up. That's been a common thread for the podcast, The History of Being Black. So much of it is the stories haven't been told or the people that have told the stories aren't telling the truth. And that has been the power that they've always been able to exercise. And that's why when people say representation matters, uh, like you say, the receipts matter. And so they have to keep that information away from the general public so we don't believe what's possible. And when you see the, when we talk about Black Wall Street or Mitchellville and different things we've talked about on this podcast, a lot of those, those things we aren't we aren't taught in school or history. And so you could have gotten an A in American history and did your black history project on George Washington Carver and Booger T. Washington and not know the stories that really could have inspired several generations. Pamela, when you guys are talking about the Museum of Uncut Fuck, beyond beyond the historical nature of it, and as you mentioned, the first positive images of blacks in animation. The nostalgia just makes you feel so good. Oh, absolutely. Very very rarely does history, do you get so excited? I hear the passion in both your voices. Tell me about the excitement of being able to collect these things and when you do have those finds. And do you have a find that's just like your all-time favorite thing that you've ever been able to to get? I think, well, for me, it would probably always be the movie posters. There are so many posters that we have and so many variations of them. We have posters where uh, we could show you how they were promoted in black neighborhoods versus how they were promoted in white neighborhoods, where the black character in the black neighborhood is in the forefront. And of course, that black character is in the rear when it's promoted to a white neighborhood. But It's always going to be the movie posters for me because there's so many posters out there that I know about in as much as so many out there that I don't know about or haven't seen or really just can't get my hands on. There's more people collecting. And um, so the inventory is not as vast as it used to be. And of course, with more people being involved in collecting, of course, the prices are going to go through the roof. And some of them are just obscene now. Why do you think more people are collecting now? Well, I think people are just collecting from, in my opinion, something that they can identify with. Now, they may not have a, a collection as big as we do, or they may have one, if, if they can afford it, that's even bigger. But you, you you always collect or hoard or hold on to something that you can identify with. I remember as a kid, you know, my, my grandparents and Lorene and I were talking about this, you know, coins. My, my grandparents collected coins. Did I know what they were doing at that time? Right. But 
No, but uh, they collected something that meant something to them. The fact that we're collecting 1970s memorabilia, uh, for, for us and for myself, it was just the greatest decade ever. I mean, musically. And I, Loreen is the true music buff out of the two of us. But just listening to that bass line, that funk, that energy, the how dynamic it was that it just kind of just took over your body and you just had the groove to it. Right. And for me, that's what the 70s represents. Huge James Brown fan. And when he does get on up live, everything has to stop because <laughs> I feel like that I'm in some sort of trance when I hear that bass line and that groove and that beat. And that's what 70s music does for me. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, although the films, there's a lot of debate about black exploitation films, how good they were, how bad they were. Our perspective is, is black people were working. Right, right. They were working in their chosen field, their craft. And you had black writers, black producers. You had some black stagehands. We were a part of a machine, maybe not at the highest level making the decisions, but we were still a part of that machine and we were employed. And when that machine stopped, a lot of people, they lost their houses, they lost their income, they lost their ability to survive. Some of them turned to drugs. Some of them never recovered. A few had a career that was able to move forward, but that was just completely stopped. We don't don't know where that could have been. And in a, a very short span of time, over 200 films was made. Black films starring black people. And that has not been replicated in the same vein that it was from a big movie house like MGM, Warner Brothers, and things of that nature. Not in that same vein. So what, why is that, do you think? Because um, when you talk about the 70s and being, you know, on the tail end of the civil rights movement and struggle and, and having this freeness to uh, associate with Black culture and Black art and Black freedom, where, where do we end up to where we are now? Um, this seems to be somewhat of a decline from the 70s or from, you know, the, the last century. Well, you know, you, again, you always have to put history in context, right? I mean, you know, you, again, we had just gotten our freedom. We were like, look, you know, you know, F the man, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, you know, it was, it was, it was just a very raw, I don't want to say politically incorrect time, but you know, it, there was a freedom of expression a freedom of being, which I guess builds on the 60s, because you had a lot of freedom in the 60s, too, right? You know, the, the, that generation was very free, you know, very experimental in the things that they did. They were fighting against the war and stuff like that. So, you know, it just kind of, you know, back-to-back -back decades of revolution and rebellion um, and resistance of, um, you know, of of the powers that be, I think, you know, to, to set stage for, you know, people doing better and, you know, and, and being able to assimilate more. I mean, you know, because, again, if you're starting to integrate you know, to some extent, you're starting to assimilate, you're getting a little comfortable, whatever. And, you know, it, it kind of tamps down what was going on. And then, you know, you had, you know, COINTELPRO. I mean, we won't even get into all that other stuff that was going yeah. on to, to, you know, to suppress the, the revolution in the 70s. But it was just it was just a really interesting time, you know. And again, I think just the freedom of creative expression. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the masses have always loved our creativity, and our production, they don't love us, but they love right. our culture, right? And that, you know, the 70s, they just, 
it was so different than what you saw before that it was this unique novel thing like the films. Hollywood was broke. They were auctioning off, you know, uh, Judy Garland's, you know, red slippers. And here come these films that were inexpensive to make and made a lot of money. So they just, I mean, they just exploited the hell out of these films. Those were 200 films. And, you know, they weren't necessarily all the best quality films, right? There were a lot of them that were exploited. But, but you know, you had to take a look at just the breadth of what, I mean, we had Miss Jane Pittman. <laughs> you know, we had Sounder. You know, there were really, you know, amazing high quality films. And there were a lot of films that weren't so great, but you had, but, we had the ability to experiment across a number of genres. There were horror films, there were Western films, there were comedies, there were dramas, there were action, you know, shoot 'em up. Every type of film that you could think of, there was a black film in the 70s, right? And Hollywood made a lot of money and, you know, it kept the studios afloat. And, you know, the reality is what usually happens is, you know, they, they make their money, they have they, their fill and they move on to something else. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there was a lot of protest from NAACP and other folks, you know, in the black community that thought the films were, you know, a little exploitive and they put pressure on the studios. And, you know, like I said, once the studios were like, well, we made our money, time to go. And that's really what happened. That's usually what happens. Right. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, if it, if we had been able to continue to evolve those films, you know, we would have gotten better films over time. There would have been more opportunities for more black writers and producers and directors to produce films. So, you know, it's, it's we look back at that time and say, you know, now's the time to look back from a scholarly perspective and kind of understand the impact of those films. You know, I would argue that there would not be Spike Lee and some of these folks had that not happened in the 70s, right? Sure, um, right. There wouldn't be, you know, if there were no 70s, there'd be no hip hop. There'd be no, I mean, you know, because it was an evolution of music that came, you know, from, you know, all the genres before. So, you know, the 70s was a, a very important bridge from civil rights to to kind of where we are today, right? It's um, laid the foundation for where we have evolved. We've got a lot of work to do. And, you know, just because, you know, revolution and resistance is in our DNA, <laughs> you know, you've got the young folks out there, you know, who are who are getting it done today. But, um, you know, we, we've all kind of been involved in the ongoing struggle uh, for, uh, you know, equality and, um, and rights in this country. And, you know, the 70s were just that pivotal time, you know, when we were able to, I think, be at our freest because I, you know, because I think we, we just didn't care. Like, I don't think we cared what white people thought. I really don't. I mean, it's like we're black. We and this is it. And we're going to do what we need to do. And we're going to enjoy this freedom that, you know, our, you know, parents and grandparents fought so hard for. And we're just going to we're just going to be. And I think the 70s was about back, black folks just being coming into being able to be. I'm not saying that we did that, you know, we didn't have the same type of issues we have today with, you know, police, you know, violence, all this stuff. But th there was just a collective I think desire to be and to connect, you know, um, to connect with our African roots, um, to, to, to really just explore, you know, who we could be unencumbered by the man. Um, right. so it was just, it was a very interesting time. Tell me how our listeners can learn more about the Museum of Uncut Funk. How can we, I know you have, it's a virtual museum, but you have done traveling exhibitions. Obviously the world's a different place right now, but tell us where we can find out more and, and enjoy the museum for ourselves. 
Well, we're located at museumofuncutfunk.com. The great part about our museum is that we're open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So uh, anyone could go on to the museum at any given point and they could see our collection. Hopefully when we are, uh, museums are open and, and ready to take exhibitions, we will have where our exhibitions are traveling to. They can also see where our exhibitions have been. And and see the response that um, the exhibitions have have gotten. Every place that the uh, one of our exhibitions have uh, been exhibited, the, the the response has been overwhelming. It has to be because you just remember. I for most of us that would enjoy um, that nostalgia nostalgia from the seventies. That was definitely a time most of us did not have bills in our own names, mm-hmm. and so just in that moment. You say, yes, I remember that was a good day. (laughs) That was a good day. We always like to leave our listeners with action items. And so when we have our guests on, we always say, you know, we want to be the change. And so there's so much in the world that needs to change. Do you have something you can offer our listeners that they can actively do right now to be the change? And we ask that they share the change with the hashtag, hashtag be the change. Well, I mean, what what we're doing to be the change, you know, to kind of walk the walk and, you know, and as, as we talk the talk is we are just really Im- trying to implore people to get really angry about the sad state of black history education in this country. That that is the, the personal, you know, um, uh challenge that we've taken on. That is that is the hill we're willing to die on, the, the sword that we're willing to take. So, you know, I just I just think as as I think about what every individual person can do, um, you know, if if you have areas of black history, aspects of black history that you're interested in, collect it, study it, preserve it, because you know, it, it's it's up to us to preserve our history. We we are, you know, our own historians, right? Um there there are there are an amazing group of people who you know, study this and do the scholarly work and the scholarly research. But every individual person, you know, has a story, you know, so find your story, find what you love to collect and collect it. Um, I implore all of you as, you know, someone who has lost um, my mom, you know, uh, you know, about a year ago, who was my history teacher. She taught me everything that I knew. And, you know, I, I am so blessed to have had that time with her. Talk to your elders, you know, get their stories, record them, get them to tell you what it was like when they were kids, get you, get them to tell you their memories of what their ancestors told them. Right. Capture your own history because, you know, collectively it's important. Um, it's just it's it's critically important for us all as a people to understand we didn't come here as slaves. OK. And, you know, our experience in this country has been more than, you know, slavery and the civil rights movement. We have been here the entire time, 401 years of history um, and very rich history. And all of it has, you know, been passed down from generation to generation to get us to where we are. So, you know, everybody, you know, do just, you know, take some time and talk to your relatives, talk to your aunties and uncles and, and record your history and, you know, try to, to try to create that legacy for your next generation. Um, it's important because, you know, they they're not going to be here forever. Um, okay. You know, I had, I had the, the, you know, the opportunity to talk to my grandmother and get the family history and talk to my mom. And I miss that. 
I, I desperately miss having those conversations. Um, but I have, you know, great notes and I had the opportunity to record some of it and, and I will have that to pass to my next generation. So I would just, you know, get everybody to think about the ability to, to, to get your own history recorded in some way or other. Cause you, you, one day you will wish you did it. <laughs> So um, that that's my advice to everybody. And even if you're you you know you don't take the path of recording your own family history, but you want to look into um, Black history as a whole, you cannot allow yourself to be angry about it. There's no more. I mean, you can be upset and you can have those feelings, but you have to find a way to get past that and really understand what has transpired to us in this country. And I think in the last year or so, especially with the pandemic, I think that's when I finally realized the amount of trauma that we as a people have endured. And I never looked at it from that perspective, but the amount of trauma we have endured from being captured from that middle passage and everything else leading up until my today has been traumatic. Right. And you cannot allow or you have to find the wherewithal within yourself to absorb the history, to understand the history. And you can be angry about it, but don't let that anger consume you and just try to work through whatever it is that you your personal feelings about what we have experienced and share that information and once you become educated, you take that education and you pay it forward. Because I really think that's the only way that is going to not be our end all to be all, but will help us continue on this path of finding out who we are. I love it. Be the change. Hashtag be the change. Collect your story. Tell your story. Curate your own history and share it. I love it. Thank you so much, Pamela Thomas and Lauren Williamson. I hope you will come back and join us for another episode. Yes. I'm super excited to uh, probably uh, put on some James Brown as I go through the virtual <laughs> museum, museumofuncutfunk.com. I can't wait for our listeners to check it out and we'll share those comments with you as well. So again, everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The History of Being Black and we will see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion and say it loud network production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.